We're going to talk about the glorious church one more time. We know that in Ephesians, the Bible talks about a glorious church that the Lord is coming back for. It's a church he made clean by his blood. In other words, it was the payment when he died to make us accepted before God, to make us, uh, you know, above reproach before him. And so when we receive Jesus, we become part of the overall church. Then we're to join a local church body. And so we're going to talk about the glorious church. And really in life, uh, in the Christian life, what you get taught or don't get taught makes a huge difference about what you experience in life, what you expect or don't expect, what you have or don't have. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it said, my people are destroyed in Hosea 4, 6 for a lack of knowledge. And it's interesting how as you read the Bible, Jesus's life, the disciples' lives, when they wanted people to walk in something, in some kind of truth or reality, they would teach them about it so they could trust. And then when they would trust, they would walk in that reality that God wanted. We know it in basic areas like salvation. How many people, you know, have you encountered? I mean, it used to be when I was little, everybody knew about Jesus. Now you can start talking to people about Jesus, what he did. And there are people who don't know. And if you don't know, you can't walk in it. That's why the Bible said faith comes by hearing. And, but that is true in all the areas with God. You know, if you didn't know that God was loving, you would think, he's ticked off at me. But he's, he puts up with me. And you don't realize, you know, as a Christian, that God is not against us. He actually is for us, the Bible said. And when you hear that, you can change your attitude to start aligning with God. And that he intends for good for your life. And he wants good, not misery. And he, Jesus did it, said it so simple. He said, pray when they said teach us how to pray he said all right this is one of the things you want to pray pray that god's will would be done here on the earth like it's being done in heaven so that means that god's will on the earth is not automatic because jesus if it was automatic would have never said pray that it would happen Right? So that would tell us that there are things that are going on in the earth today that are not God's will. Right? If it was God's will and, and everything just happened and, you know, God's will was automatic, He would not have said pray about it. He wouldn't have said pray that His will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. But we know this, most people who know the Bible or very little about the Bible, when somebody goes to heaven, we know misery ends. Right? We're not thinking, oh man, they went to heaven. How horrible. Oh, they should have stayed on the earth. No, we think, wow, they got it. And that, you know, if they're saved and they went there, they've got it. It's going to be great forever for them. We don't think, whoa. Or, well, do we? No, we don't. And so we're pretty good about that. 
thinking that something good is in heaven and good things are happening and, and God's not ticked off at people in heaven and going, I'm getting that neighborhood over there next week. I'm so mad at them. We just know it's full of peace and joy and goodness. And he said, pray that your will, his will would occur on the earth as it occurs in heaven. And so with that being said, God wants big things to occur in our life. Is the earth going to be perfect before he comes? No, we know that. We see that that's clear. Even when Jesus was on the earth, there were great things happening, but there were some crooked people doing crooked things. They even tried to kill him. Could you imagine? Jesus would heal people, and then people would try to kill him for it. That makes sense. No, that doesn't make sense. But if you think about it, God was wanting good things to occur, and not everybody was on board. Amen? It, so much so, we know that after three and a half years of ministry, uh, even one of his disciples turned on him with a bunch of people that wanted him off the scene, which is just wild to me, but he was wrecking the establishment, the religious status quo, and good things were happening. And so they went after him. They literally killed him. But thank God he rose again. And we know the story from there. So if you will, I'm going to open up the Bible to Philippians, the 8th chapter. And we're going to talk about, you know, something that I believe should stretch us as believers. Um, we should expect things on God's terms, not our terms. Sometimes what we expect on our terms doesn't always match God's terms. Are you with me? I've had people say this, well, I would ask God for more, but I feel like I've asked Him for so much, I don't want to be such a burden to Him. You're only asking on your terms. The Bible tells us, come and ask. And come and ask freely, and keep asking, and keep getting. But our terms, or people's terms, are, well, I've already gotten so many good things from the Lord, I just don't want to be a pest. You're not a pest. Those are your terms, not His terms. You know, what if after a certain length of time, your kids stopped asking for food and stopped asking for different things? You'd think, don't you want to eat? Well, you just give me so much food, you know? Even natural kids know better than that, because how many kids say that? Well, you've fed me so many meals, you know, I'm in third grade, I figure I wouldn't bug you anymore. Said no kid ever. Right? Because you would think, your kid's not even thinking that way. But we shouldn't think that way either about God, because it's not that way in the Bible. So, Philippians, the eighth chapter, and I'm going to talk about you can't contain it. And, and there's something about Christianity that if it's contained, maybe we haven't hit the peak yet. And maybe it's not God's design if we can contain this Christianity or this new life. And uh, we see here in the Bible that this new life, uh, man, it stretched beyond and it was not containable. So Romans, uh, Romans, I'll just get you thinking, turning. Acts, the eighth chapter, and we'll be, Acts what? Philippians? 
there is no Philippians 8 chapter. There's only four. I knew that, and I said it wrong. And you guys are still searching, huh? So I'm just going to start today in different books. But whoever gets to Acts 8 is spiritual, okay? There's still people, you know, when I get done with the service, there will be people who go, I'm still looking for Philippians, the 8th chapter. Acts, the 8th chapter. Whew. Could tell this is a rough crowd, but that's all right. Uh, Notice this in the fourth verse, and we're going to read through the eighth verse. It says, Therefore, uh, those who were scattered uh, went everywhere preaching the word. There was this great persecution that struck the church, and the persecution was so severe. You know, we, sometimes we think persecution is when like somebody says something mean to you at work and said, oh, you're a Bible thumper? And everybody's like, just talk so bad about me. Everybody pray. Um, that's not that bad. You know, make fun of you. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people, you know. Eh, everybody pray for me. And I'm not trying to mock the fact, but when we're talking about persecution, it was so bad, people left their homes, their properties, and went to other cities. Why? Because the persecution was you could get beaten, you could get stoned to death, you could get thrown in jail. Hey, you guys thinking about moving? They just packed up and would move. And, but when they moved, they moved with the fire they had for the Lord. And so it says, therefore, those who were scattered because they were persecuted went everywhere preaching the word. Now he's going to target, uh, the writer's going to target this one guy, Philip. He said, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The multitude with one accord, notice it's a big crowd of people, heeded or paid attention to the things spoken uh, by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now this is the phrase I wanted to look at right here. Good things were happening. They're out there preaching He goes to this one city, and a lot of people are listening. The word's spreading, and it says, And there was great joy in that city. Literally, it didn't say there was joy in the city. It said there was great joy, or on literally means on a grand scale, or splendor. I mean, it was huge. It wasn't like, Oh, have you seen so-and-so at work this week? They seem to have a little bit of joy. It was so big, it was all over the city. Meaning, it was affecting the very atmosphere of that whole area because the one guy sharing the word, and then the word started spreading through people. I mean, the whole atmosphere of the town changed. And there was joy. People would see people all over the place. You would be sensing God. Even the people that had not had accepted him. It it says, and there was great joy in that city. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't just say there was great joy in, in the sanctuary of the Lord. Like there was a great presence there. 
somebody said, yeah, but I've been in church before and I could sense God's presence in the sanctuary. That's awesome. But remember what I said, what if we're not thinking on a grand scale or the way uh, that God is thinking about this? Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say that everybody's house that was a believer was filled with the presence of God and with the joy of the Lord. Do you believe that happened? Totally. But it was beyond. And he didn't just say, oh, the believers that were there, there was great joy inside of them. No, what, what they were experiencing was so big it couldn't be contained in the believer. So it, it happened in the sanctuary. It happened where they met. But it was all over the city. I mean, talk about advertising. You know, because you know, when we, when we want to advertise something, we want people to taste and see that something's good. I mean, Costco does that. Praise the Lord for samples. Eh, because it saved me from buying stuff too, right? But then on the other hand, it's made me buy stuff that I wasn't sure I really wanted. But think about it. This is all over the city. This is not, I mean, and it's on purpose, and it didn't just say joy was in the city. It literally was a great, abounding, loaded joy and we know that joy is an aspect, and I'm not talking like, you know, the, these Christians, you know, like that a Christian comedian come in and tell jokes and everybody's laughing, you know, the next day, and did you hear the one he said? It was so good. Not that kind of joy. This was a spiritual joy. This was a force of God's presence that was so manifest through the whole city. Turn to Acts 19. If we can't contain it, or if we can contain it, then we need to up our thinking and realize what God's got to offer is beyond containment. Are you with me? It's beyond containment. We may come to church and go, wow, I recognize God's presence. There was a presence there. God wants that presence beyond your home. He wants it beyond your heart, and He wants it beyond the building. That's how big God thinks about it. And we could be thinking, you know, I'm hitting home runs. You know, but we could be having a small person's mentality. No offense to people who are in Little League or have kids in Little League, but, you know, they're hitting home runs and they're like, you know, then they watch baseball and they see some pro hits a home run. He's like, I do that. Um, well, yeah, you do, but not exactly the same. Your fence is 50 feet. His is 280 feet, you know, or something like that. And you, we're all, man, we're hitting home runs. You know, and, and, and we're hitting off a tee. But God wants us to play in the big leagues. Hey, T-ball's great. I'm not, don't want to get persecuted for this, you know. T-ball's great, T-ball's fun, but it's not the same. There's way more force when an adult, a pro, is hitting one out of the park than a little kid. Are you with me? And, and if we're going, wow, man, did you sense the presence of God? That's awesome. We want that. And then, man, we had some friends over, or I was praying at home, and you could sense God doing something in our house. Or I sense God in my own heart. God wants us to know that there's a bigger ball field to play in. 
where it, it, it's just not on small, small potatoes, so to speak. And he wants us to know that. Why? So we can go, this is what we can have. This is what God wants to do. And this is what he, the way he did it in the Bible. Acts 19. Notice it wasn't Philippians 19. Acts 19, verse 17. It said, uh, this became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus or in this area, and fear fell upon them all. Now, when we read the word fear... In our language today, you know, you think, oh, scary movie, fear. Uh, but from Bible days and other things, when it says fear the king, that doesn't mean just be paranoid of the king. Uh, it means to reverence and have a huge awe about how big God is. So when they fear the Lord, like the way we fear the Lord is as Christians, we should fear him in a huge like, whoa, he's awesome. He's tremendous. There's that awe where when he comes back, whether you've lived in it or not, you'll, everybody will have it when he shows up. But do you know that God wants that kind of fear in cities? Not just in a building where we come and sense God's presence and go, whoa. He's big. He's powerful. Or we're, we're praying and we have an experience with God and we go, whoa, He is awesome. He's big time. He's over the top. He, he wants it in the whole city. Something that you can't just be contained in you, but affects your whole life, your whole lifestyle, affects your home, and affects where we work. And, and notice this. It said, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was magnified. Meaning, whoa, look how big the Lord is. That was that reverence and fear. When we really start seeing how big the Lord is and knowing how big the Lord is, uh, it's because He's magnified in our sight. And, and there becomes a real reverence. When one of the early disciples uh, was before he was a disciple, was going to go persecute the church. He had been throwing Christians in jail, and it said he even compelled them to blaspheme. In other words, he treated them so rotten and, had, and would torture, do whatever, throw them in jail, till he would force them to blaspheme. What does that mean? Say something against Jesus? To, to, he, there was persecution and people were trying to get others and it was evil to get them to speak against the Lord and turn against the Lord. But that guy had an experience and then when he saw the Lord for the way he was, his whole heart changed forever. And he had a fear in the sense of a real reverence, and a real respect for God. Our communities need this. Our church needs this. Our own lives need this. But God doesn't want it just to be in your life or just in your house. Notice this. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, verse 18. And many who had believed... So these were people who were already Christians. It said they came... This was happening in this area. 
they came confessing and telling their deeds. All of a sudden, this great fear and magnification of the Lord happened, and people who had been living maybe a compromised kind of life, they were a believer, but they started going, whoa, God, Jesus. And they came, and they weren't private about they might have been private about what they were doing wrong, but they were public about it. And they came and said, I was doing this. I'm changing. And it didn't just say one or two. People started doing it because God's power was so in manifestation. And then notice the next part. And many of those who had practiced magic or you know witchcraft uh, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it was totaled at 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow. Literally, when I had looked at this years ago, it was about 137 years of wages that got burned that day. 137 years. Of wages, So there was a lot of it that got brought there. And it says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. But notice the atmosphere of the city. People started confessing. People started getting rid of junk. Why? Because the Lord was magnified and stuff started happening. Turn with me, because we're talking about a Christianity and walking with a God where it can't just be contained. I think we should think bigger. Turn to Jeremiah, the, the 31st chapter, because these are things that the Lord wants. He doesn't want his ways to be in a closet, hidden away, and him not revealed to the world so that the world doesn't know and it's just a private thing. His standard is the big league, so to speak. He wants good things, and it's his work we're talking about. Notice this in Jeremiah 31. And we're going to begin reading uh, in verse 10. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I think I will. How many of you know the verse Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a hope. To give you an expected end. In other words, good thoughts. Anybody heard that before? You know? And, you know, if you've been to like Hobby Lobby, you might have seen it or Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, on some little plaque, you know. He's got good thoughts, good things. Well, if you know the context, the children of Israel had just done wrong and they ended up getting led into captivity. The Lord permitted them to go. But the Lord, even in their bad place, God did good stuff. And that's when he promised good things. He said, buy lands, do this, get established. Uh, the thoughts I have to you for you are good. And you know what's so interesting? That was only permissible. It wasn't God's perfect thing for those people because they had just refused and gone their own way. But even in their own way, God said, I want good stuff for you. I want good things. And he said, settle down. I'm going to multiply you there. Buy lands. Buy all this stuff. But we're going to look beyond that. We're going to look to the day they came out and what God started saying about their future. 
and about entering into what God really had for them. Notice this, Jeremiah 31, verse 10. This is what happened after, and, and they, like I said, they hadn't lived right. They were in a bad place, but God was still blessing them. And now God wants to give them a word. I'm going to bring you up out of this place. I'm going to bring you into a place that's beyond this place. Just like, you know, does God want greater joy and greater peace and greater manifestations of His presence in people's lives where comfort comes and you not only have enough for you, you have enough for everybody around you. Right? Isn't that the Scripture? Then the Bible says that God will comfort you with comfort so that you'll have so much you'll be able to comfort those who are around you. Some people are thinking, if I could get just enough from me, I'm good. God goes, no, nah, it's too small. I want to do it so much that you got plenty for you and you can hand it out. That you can distribute comfort in a way that is, and it's a force, it's a power from God. That I can do this to you and through you and, and that'll be good. No. And remember, we're talking about the big league. Do it so in you and not just so in your home and not just so in the sanctuary that we go, whoa, but that there's plenty left when you go out to eat after. You with me? And where you are comforted. And you've got leftovers. You know, that's how God wants things. So now they've been in this place, but God's like, hey, there's a promise uh, that I want to bring you into what I really have for you. You know, you can be in a place where you're walking in good things and God's like, there's stuff I really have for you to walk in. And I want to bring you there. And that's what he was saying here. Uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 10. If you haven't found it, just turn to Philippians 8. Sorry. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. So this is what God is saying. When he said, hear the word of the Lord, this is a prophetic word from God that's being spoken forth. He said, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, he who scattered or permitted Israel to be scattered is about to do something. He's going to bring them back. But you know, we, the church, are actually called the Israel of God now, if you read Galatians. And, and it says, and other places. He said, because there's a spiritual side and a natural side to that. He said, he who scattered or permitted him to be scattered will gather him. And he said, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. That's starting to sound like the church. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You are my sheep. He said, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, which is, you know, where the covenant came from for these people. And it says, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion. In other words, I'm going to bring them out of their bondage, even though they've been being blessed there. And I'm going to bring them into a better place. And they're going to sing there. And it says, They shall sing in the heights of Zion, 
streaming to the goodness of the Lord. Or they're just going to just bring this forth. All this stuff about the goodness of the Lord. And he's going to tell you what, what the goodness is going to affect. He said, for the wheat, for the new wine, for the young of the flock, and for the herd. In other words, basically, he's going to start affecting all their life in a good way. Notice this. It says their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. This means they were blessed where they were, but their souls were going to become fruitful. They were going to have peace and joy and just some fullness in their emotions and, and their whole being was about to be affected. He said, I'm going to do stuff naturally and I'm going to do stuff spiritually for them. And it says their souls shall be watered like a well-watered garden. Your emotions aren't going to be wilting. There's going to be fruit. And they shall sorrow no more at all. Verse 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy. Now they were in a place where God was even blessing them, but they weren't really experiencing this blessing that was supposed to be really on display to everybody. And God said, and, and here's the thing, they had not been doing right. It got them there. And God said, I'm still going to do this. And it says, verse 14, I will satiate, which is literally, be sat if I pronounce that correctly, right? Satiate, isn't that what it is? And it literally means to fill to full or be satisfied to the full. So he said, I'm going to do this to the soul of the priests or the ministers with abundance. Wow. Too bad you guys aren't. <laughs> Poor things. Wow. That's a good promise. Might as well close right there. No. Because he didn't stop right there. He basically started describing, I'm going to do this to all the people. I'm going to do stuff and I'm going to fix your emotions. I'm going to do stuff that overflows, that's going to affect every area of your life. He said, I will do this to the priests or the ministers, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. There will be such goodness of natural and spiritual. He said, all my people will be satisfied with this. Isn't it interesting? They hadn't been perfect. They maybe hadn't measured up, but the Lord said, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do something that's just really big. If we know the Bible, the Bible said the old covenant was a lesser covenant and we live in a greater covenant. Psalm 16.11 says that in His presence is fullness of joy. He said, and joy is not just a natural because, thing because there are people who, have, who, who laugh uh, how many comedians laugh over the years? I, it was amazing to me. I remember when I was younger, there was this guy who was in a TV program. He was a comedian, and he committed suicide. You know, that was like weird to me. And then, then I 
find that there are other comedians. And as we've gone along, Robin Williams, you know, laughs, laughs, kills himself. And, and you go, and there are other comedians, you know, of late that have killed themselves. And you think, and then now with comedians with their lives on display, uh, more than just with their jokes and their movies, we have, you know, the public courts of opinion now where you get to see the actions of people. And I think um, there's a lot of people who are comedians who are just, they, they promote jokes, but they're not happy. They don't have joy. When, and there are people who laugh and tell jokes who don't have this kind of joy. This kind that's with God. Whether you laugh or not, it's just satisfaction of soul. And he said, that whole city started to get to partake. The first one we read in Acts 8, not Philippians 8. We're going to remember that. Oh yeah, that scripture where the whole town was filled with God's presence and joy. That whole place was saturated. It affected the people. He said, I'm going to bring you guys back and I'm going to bring you back into the land and it's going to be blessed so much. We know later, he said, all people would call you blessed. It would just overflow. And so when he said, in his presence is fullness of joy, this is a different kind of joy than let's go watch a good funny movie. I need a laugh right now. And I'm good with that kind of laughing. And I'm good with telling jokes that I think are funny. And, um, but this is not that. This is a strength. It, it's a divine presence. It's divine substance. That's what filled the city. There was satisfaction in the air. People were tasting. People were going, man, this is not just in the building. We recognize that there is something going on. And we see that happen in Acts 19. And now the Lord's saying, listen, there is a place I want to take you guys beyond just where you were and things were good. I want it to overflow and affect all your life. Why would he want to do that? Because of the effect on the world. How many people today say, well, there is no God? Or, you know, yeah, there's a God maybe, but whatever. What I find about those people is they don't know joy. They live in misery for the most part. And then they want other people to join their misery of unbelief. How fun is that? No amens. A anyway, <laughs> you know, we, we want to walk in his fullness. And he wants people, I'm convinced of this by reading the scriptures, there are times that Jesus said things like this. He said, the mighty works I did here and the things I did here, uh, you know, it's going to be more tolerable for the people who didn't experience it than you guys because you experienced it and didn't turn to me in the day of judgment. He said that. And he said, and the people, you know, who see these things, he implies once they've experienced this fullness, been around this and seen it, 
He said, they're without excuse. Why? Because you might have an excuse. Well, I never sensed God. I've never been around. But see, God wants this on display. Why? He wants to take excuses away from the world. Not because he doesn't want people to have excuses like quit making up excuses. No, he wants to do everything he can through his church to be on display because he wants them to know him in a real way. Not just through knowledge. I believe this is something we should attain to. That this should be beyond just, uh, well, here's a scripture, but where people uh, recognize his presence around us. Amen? He wants that. It's good for us, but if we only think, well, it's only when you go to church or it's only when you pray, we might be limiting him. Are you with me? And he would like to do that so somebody can't say someday, well, I never knew. And he'd say, remember when you had that experience? And remember when that happened to you and the power of God uh, did that to you? And then, then now you've turned against it? That was your choice. But I did that to demonstrate how good I was and how you could have been fulfilled. Are you with me? Let's, let's close over here in Luke the 8th chapter. Actually, there's two scriptures, uh, but we'll look at the one in Luke. God wants to do things in such a way that it affects us. I'm going to read two verses, actually. Luke's Gospel, the 8th chapter. I believe God is in the business of taste and see. Right? Didn't he tell people? Have them come. He said, tell them, taste and see. And not just hear about it, but he wants to take away excuses from people. He wants them to, you know, is there an excuse why you won't buy something? I don't know if that product's good. Well, now you've tasted it. Now what do you think? Oh, it's good. It's good. And I believe the Lord wants things on display through us as believers and as a church. Luke 8, verse 39. Jesus had helped this man. He had experienced freedom. Just all the people knew he was messed up. It became known that this guy got free from just a jacked up life and literally controlled by demons and it says in verse 39 he, he this guy wanted to follow jesus and travel with him he said no verse 39 return to your own house and tell what great things god has done for you and he went his way and proclaimed through the whole city what great things jesus had done for him think about this Jesus said, listen, if something good's happening in you, let that spill out to everybody. Let that get around. And you know what he did? He just started telling. It started, we know when Jesus went back to that town, he got, Jesus got thrown out of that town, by the way. 
the first time, the next time he went back, after news had gotten around of the good things, they were welcoming him. Let's close here in Psalm 68. Psalms 68. The Lord wants us to think big. When we talk to people, we should expect that God's goodness will affect them. You with me? We should affect, believe that when we're at work, that, that God's peace will work through us and affect people. He wants the church to have an effect, so when people come, they recognize God's presence. I remember when I went to church after giving my life back to the Lord in 1985, I went into this church, and uh, you know they taught some Bible, and I remember going in there and thinking, wow, there's a presence here. The Lord is actually here. And, uh, but I was so hungry, I was thinking, there's got to be more than this. And somebody invited me to this other church. And it was a more of a style like our church. And I remember walking in the door and then being in a service and just thinking, wow, there's even more. I think this is how it should be. But what if there's even more that God wants on display as he is preparing to come back? Notice this in Psalm 68. Verse 19. Because what is he wanting on display? Something he's doing in you and something he's doing in me and something he is doing or has done in our midst. Are you with me? Psalm 68, verse 19. Talking about the Lord. It says, blessed be the Lord. That's like, praise the Lord. You ever heard somebody say, praise the Lord. You ever been annoyed at them? Why are they doing that? Why are they got to act like that? Praise the Lord. Not me. I mean, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, they're, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why do they do that praise the Lord business? Well, if you ever won the lottery, and I don't mean like the $5 scratcher, you know, and you win $10, you know, you're not walking around the store going, I won. Right here. 10 bucks. A $10 winner right here. Just want everybody to know. You're, you're not going to do that. Well, maybe you would. I don't know. But, but I'm thinking I'm not going to do that with like a little scratch thing and maybe win five or ten bucks, you know, or, or get to get two free extra tickets. Great. This is exciting. No, when it says here, when he talks about Blessed be the Lord, he's expressing something because he got one five bucks in the lottery. No. What people don't understand sometimes with people who get excited about the Lord is they recognize uh, that they've won a lot and a lot is happening. And notice this. Who daily loads, the King James says loadeth. Loadeth. How often? Who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation, Selah. So what Selah mean? It means stop, think, ponder this. Have you pondered the fact that God is in the business of loading you daily? That He loaded you when you got saved? And that His blessing is upon you daily? Well, there's no reason to praise the Lord about that. 
You won the lottery that works daily. So if he's loading, and the wording here, is, is where it's like the King James says, loadeth, it really, if you look up the definition, it's like loading a cargo ship. Or loading cargo to a ship. Well, I'm thinking, you know, that's not like, all right, load up the big ship and bring, bring the cargo and it's a box of toothpicks. No, when I think they're loading a cargo ship, I'm thinking they're putting a lot of stuff in there. And it says, blessed be the Lord who loads us daily with benefits or who does good things through us and in our lives on a daily basis. Well, that should be something that spreads all over the place. Amen? And we should think that way. If he wants to affect everything around us, it's not just us doing the work, it's him doing stuff in us, through us, and around us. And we get to be participants in the bigness of God. Not just go tell him, go tell him based on the fact of the good things the Lord is doing in your life. I mean, how many people have preached a good restaurant? Because they got loaded with a burrito one time. No, I'm telling you, it's the best Mexican food. You need to go there. And you got loaded with whatever food they had, and then you're preaching, which means to proclaim. The goodness of Chuck E. Cheese. Or wherever it is. I'm telling you. You can eat pizza and play games. It's incredible. Look at the spool of tickets I won. What are those for? I don't know, but I got a lot of them. No. He wants to load us with benefits. And then out of being loaded with benefits, we should also be proclaimers of His goodness. Anybody recognize God working in them today? And we, we already got something to say. So I'm not sure. I do notice something here. Do notice something in the atmosphere. I believe this. When you leave, God's presence will work in you when you leave. And, and here's the thing. Out of all this that was said, I believe God wants us to make our... our uh, view of him and how he wants to do things on a bigger, grander scale. Because of his great love for you and his great love for the whole world, he wants to do something on a grander scale. And so we just should just up our thinking and go, he, he doesn't want to just do this in our midst. He wants it to be so big it affects our community. Are you with me? Where we're telling people and they're like, ah, I've been sensing something working, and you're the connection. Are you with me? Yeah. 